this is KOS the Scientist, and this is episode two. Affirmative action wasn't mathing, the perversion of reparative justice. I'm going to dive right in. So, you know, it wasn't a surprise to you. Uh, I'm sure that the ruling went 6 3. Uh, you have a lopsided court. Of course, Trump got his people in, and, you know, it's a lopsided court. And, you know, Clarence Thomas, he. He seems like he wanted to uh, stick it to the other side all his life. He had a hard on to get to this point where he could take away affirmative action. That's kind of, you know, I think his his thing. It's like, you know, he's celebrating that he finally ended uh, affirmative action. Uh, And so, you know, it didn't shock anybody. Uh, And what I want to talk about first is there was already a loss of momentum with affirmative action. Both sides see that the thing was broken. Of course, one side wants to take it away, but the thing is broken on on so many different levels. So one, it's already banned in eight states and restricted in nine. I'm talking about big states like California, Texas, Florida, right? So uh, it, we need to think about if someone's saying, hey, you know, you're taking all the affirmative action away. But the thing is, you need to know how much is there, because you may be thinking that people are taking all this stuff away and you're getting all these freebies, but you're really not. OK, when you go under the hood and look at the science underneath things here. So, you know, it's banned or restricted in nine states already uh and this is widely expected okay so with it being banned in eight or nine states already we have to look at who's getting the affirmative action that's important right because the original intent is you're considering things like uh slavery you're considering things like jim crow you're considering things like generational trauma. You're considering things like ongoing racial discrimination. So the original intent over time, it has lost its way. And we're going to go over that. Uh, so I want to start with the Cornell students in 2017. So the, the black students out of Ithaca, they made national news in 2017 where they said, look, in Ithaca, yeah, we're seeing black faces. That's cool. But we're not seeing us. We're not seeing uh, the people who have slavery behind them. The people who have Jim Crow. We're not seeing the native black American on campus. Yeah, you're checking the, the black box, but we're not seeing us. Actually... We're not even the majority black. So what's going on here? So this made national news. You know, it was an inside education uh, where this protest, people were taking it serious. And this is what the Cornell students said. The demand, we demand that Cornell missions come up with a plan to actively increase the presence of underrepresented black students on this campus. 
we define underrepresented black students as black Americans who have several generations, more than two in this country. The black student population at Cornell disproportionately represents international or first generation African or Caribbean students. While these students have a right to flourish at Cornell, there is a lack of investment in black students whose families were affected directly by the African Holocaust in America. Cornell must work to actively support students whose families have been impacted for generations by white supremacy and American fascism. Okay. So notice that they're not like against the foreign students, the, the people from, uh, you know, Jamaica, Bahamas, they're, they're not against those students, but they're saying, let's look at the data. Right. And so what are we trying to accomplish here? What what's the original intention of it? And is it matching up with the original intention? Uh, and this brings up another point. Uh, uh, but let me cover um, Dr. Henry Louis Gates and Lonnie Guineer. Uh So in, as far back as 2004, they raised a flag at Harvard. So these are the, the students at Cornell in 2017. But in 2004, uh, Lonnie Guineer and Dr. Henry Louis Gates, they raised a flag right there uh, at Harvard, uh, you know, and they had some serious questions about the majority of the black students not being native black American. So what he said uh, in the New York Times was, uh, this is Dr. Gates, I just want people to be honest enough to talk about it. What are the implications of this? So that's somebody... You know, he's not like a radical. This guy's conservative. He doesn't, you know, hate other groups or, or any of that stuff. He's just saying, like, remember, these are people on in the campus, right? If you want to think about something, you need people with inside information about what's going on right there on the campus. So first we had the Cornell students. Now we have Lonnie Guineer and Dr. Gates right there at Harvard. And they're saying the math is not math. And there's something wrong with this. Where, what are we doing here in 2004 where you're saying you're, you're, you're recruiting all these black students, but these are not black students who have the weight of slavery, Jim Crow and generational trauma. And so what happens is there's a prototype that is going to exploit this inefficiency. In most cases, it's not malicious, but the prototype would be people like Joy Ann Reed and Barack Obama, you know, you look at them where Joy Ann Reed is at the top, you know, at MSNBC. And, you know, she recently talked about how the Harvard recruiters came to her in Colorado. Joy Ann Reed, who's of uh, Guyanese and I believe Congolese descent, her parents met as graduate students at the University of Iowa. Barack Obama's dad was a PhD professor. Okay. So these students who are getting these affirmative action slots at Harvard, Barack Obama, Joanne Reed, right? Their parents are highly educated. And so, you know, uh, uh, the mainstream, they like to compare the first generations, second generations, are the immigrant to the black American. 
But with comparisons, if you're sincere and you're making a comparison, you want to make sure you study and make adjustments to make sure your comparisons are fair. You don't compare a family coming over here on Kenya Airways or, you know, Air Nigeria uh, and they're wealthy and their their parents are educated and you're taking the top 5% of these countries and they're getting the fuck out of those countries. Okay. So uh, these people, when they say, hey, there's a brain drain in Africa, where do you think those people are going? They're coming in many cases to here, possibly United Kingdom, Canada, but they're trying to get the fuck out of there. If you got money, if you have money and resources and your parents are educated, you're packing your bags uh, in a lot of cases, right? So when the society compares the native black American, you're comparing the whole population to the top 5% where the brain drain from these countries, the best and the brightest and the most resource, they're being dropped down in parachutes right here in the United States. And so when they're top 5%, they're dropped down and their kids drop down and they start having babies or what I would call possibly arbitrage babies, because it's an arbitrage where if somebody who's black, okay, who comes from these countries and their resource and their parents are educated, they could exploit unintentionally. They could exploit the fact that the system wants to have some type of reparative justice programs for the history. But the problem is you don't really have that history deep, deep in the paint like us. Okay. So if you're coming in here without the baggage and that history and the weight on you and the trauma on you, right, you're going to do a lot better. So when they compare, the mainstream is not making the proper adjustments. And so if you don't deal with the problem at the root level, you're going to have the Joanne Reeds, the Barack Obamas, whose parents, you know, were highly educated. They didn't go through slavery. Uh, they didn't go through Jim Crow. They're just going to come and eat up a lot of the benefits where the original intent was for the black American. So you can, you start to see a clear picture of how affirmative action was broken mathematically. We can't just look at what's on the surface. Oh, we got a first black president. Oh, look at Joanne Reed. You know, a black journalist is at MSNBC. We need to know what's going on underneath with the data. Let's read a bit about what Clarence Thomas had to say. So one of the things in the Clarence Thomas opinion was um, one, one of the things he said was these individuals and others who wish for their success may resent members of what they perceived, what they perceived to be favorite races, believing that the successes of those individuals are unearned. So with Clarence Thomas, not just Clarence Thomas, there's a lot of people out there uh, where they're saying, hey, if the black applicant gets affirmative action and goes out in the world, the credentials are going to be questioned. Did you get those? How much of that of those credentials did you get? How much opportunity did you get because you're black? The problem with this is a very uh, sick thinking. Because 
I don't know about you, you know, but can you even imagine somebody who has the option of going to, uh, to Kennesaw State or Princeton or Yale, right? Because people look at education as a path, uh, of course, uh, to uh, financial security, to their bag, uh, to their goals. So somebody's not going to say, oh, if I go to Princeton versus Kennesaw State, that people are going to, people are not worried about that. All right. So even if people are really concerned about that, I'm talking about the student, right? Uh, or the professional, even if the student or professional uh, uh, is concerned about that, they're not going to say, I'm going to Kennesaw State because I'm worried about what other people think. And then with Clarence Thomas and a lot of these other people, they think you got to prove something where the perception uh, of uh, the affirmative action recipient, the perception of it, right, should determine whether you should have it. Where, you know, you remember Malcolm X, he used to, uh, I believe his saying was, what do they call a black man with a PhD, a nigga? So, you know, in many cases, somebody who's thinking like that, where they, they automatically assume that if a black person, right, graduates from Harvard, gets accepted to Harvard, that, hey, they didn't deserve it, right? The majority of those people, they're already going to have anti-black, uh, anti-black uh, uh, orientation in terms of biases, you're not going to change this by removing the uh, affirmative action. You're unlikely to change this by removing the uh, affirmative action. But who cares what the dominant society thinks, considering what the dominant society has already done and continue to do? Why would you be catering to the perception from these people who have created these structures and who have done this damage uh, and their children that have done it? Uh, and their grandchildren. So uh, it doesn't make sense to me to hear mostly conservatives talk about, uh, you know, you need to change affirmative action because of there's a perception that the person is unqualified. Who gives a fuck? Nobody who has an opportunity to go to an elite school to get a better education is really worrying about that, where it's more important to change the perception, then actually get more people in the field uh, to, you know, advance their professional careers or, or their professional goals. Uh, so, you know, that's that's one point that uh, uh, stuck out. Uh, here is some more of uh, uh, Clarence Thomas. What then would be the endpoint of these affirmative action policies? Not racial harmony, integration, or equality under the law. Rather, these policies appear to be leading to a world in which everyone is defined by their skin color, demanding ever-increasing entitlements and preferences on that basis. Not only is that exactly the kind of factualism that the Constitution was meant to safeguard against, but it is a factualism based on ever-shifting sands. That is because race is a social construct. We may each identify as members of a particular of particular races for any number of reasons having to do with our skin color, our heritage, our cultural identity. And over time, these uh, ephemeral socially constructed categories have often shifted. For example, 
Whereas universities today would group all white applicants together, white elites previously sought to exclude Jews and other white immigrants from higher education. In fact, it is impossible to look at an individual and know definitively his or her race. Some who would consider themselves black, for example, may be quite fair skinned. Yet university admissions policies ask individuals to identify themselves as belonging to one of only a few reductionist racial groups with boxes for only black, white, Hispanic, Asian or the ambiguous other. How is a Middle Eastern person to choose someone from the Philippines? Whichever case he makes in the event he chooses to report a race at all, the form silos him into an artificial category. Worse, it sends a clear signal that the category matters. Uh, so, you know what, Clarence Thomas, you're right on some of this because if you're just sending in Barack Obama and Joanne Reed and marking them black, and you know you're just throwing all all black people into a big pot of identity gumbo, and you don't care about the history, uh, then you're right. Uh, affirmative action is highly inefficient if you're not going to prioritize uh, black Americans of shared lineage here in the United States. OK, so you're right, Clarence Thomas, that there's there's something really wrong with affirmative action. If you just throw everybody in just a group and the university can cosmetically manufacture uh, a diversity or look, you know, we're diverse on the surface, but underneath there's real deep disparities. And if the society, they're not tracking this, but if the society uh, doesn't know if it's a mystery that, Hey, there's a hundred black students there, but it's only one that has been through the Holocaust here on the U S soil, whose family has been through that. Okay. There's only one out of a hundred Right. You can't work on that if they're hiding it, if they're just saying everybody's black, you know, uh, you know, look at this. Great. Look, look. But if they're flying in here and it's, it's immigrant families and wealthy families, for, you know, from educated uh, 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 families with graduate degrees, you can't really work on the stuff surgically that you need to. So I believe that this ruling, there's parts of it that are helpful. You know, you remember people would say, uh, oh, you need the bad one to uh, you need to let the bad one go so the good one could come. You know, another way to think about this ruling uh, is with the defectiveness of affirmative action and how broken it was, specifically as it relates to the native black American. You know, it's it may be good that they take the bad. This is a really bad. It's a fake one, right? It's a perverted expression of reparative justice, right? So it's so broken that it could give people time, right? To refocus and get smarter about what you're trying to accomplish. Like the Cornell university students in 2017, take a step back. What are these universities trying to accomplish? So, you know, could this be an opportunity for some universities to say, hey, we're not going to look at the race. We're going to look at has your family. Right. Has your has your family uh, through generations, are, are they connected to slavery? 
you know, that would be a much smarter approach uh, with affirmative action. You know, it's it's better than just anybody black who flies in here. Uh, you know, uh, that counts as black. Everybody counts as black. So it could be an opportunity to f- focus efforts on going to root causes. Why do you need affirmative action in the first place? And is it a, just a counterfeit remedy or solution or approach to really tackle reparations? Okay, so, you know, if you remove the fake one, right, you could, you're getting some benefit from the fake one, but you have to have some courage. You have to have, be able to take some risk to get something a lot better because affirmative action, you deserve so much more than just this little affirmative action that's mostly going to black immigrant, first, second generation families. That's where most of the black affirmative action was going, right? So this is an opportunity to reset and possibly focus on something better. One thing that came out uh, was, you know, the, the Asian activists, they're the ones who brought this case uh, forward, right? And, you know, do you blame the Asians for going after theirs? You know, in America, they say, oh, uh, diversity is America's strength. But what time period are we talking about? Do you really think having all these different groups and religions and agendas and self-interest that this stuff is always going to be America's strength, right? At some point, you're going to have, you're seeing it now where people start to break off. There's different uh, religions, different politics, there's different groups, and everybody's going for theirs. And you see less and less people are on the same page. Like what's the national, what's in the best interest for the national uh, program? So, you know, the Asian groups, they're going for theirs, you know, that's the thing is a lot of us look at politics like it's church. Okay. It's like a religious thing. I care about everybody. I want to be nice to everybody. You know, uh, essentially you're in shark infested waters at this point where essentially other groups, they're thinking about going after that bag. They're thinking about getting their family to the next level. They're thinking about the material. Okay, whether it's elite education, money, business, they're going after the material. So in these in this environment where people are competing for resources and groups are competing for resources, they're going after material. And if you are thinking all this, all lives matter, or even all black lives matter. Right. So every all the black people together, we all on the same page. You know, if you're more on the spooky side and everybody else is going after the material, right? And they're thinking about 20, 50 years later, setting their families up, but they're thinking about money, business, elite education. They're thinking about stuff that you can count. And you're more on let's, let's treat everybody nice and let's work with everybody, right? This is not going to work out well mathematically. So I don't fault the Asian activists for going after theirs. Okay. So, you know, Hey, we're scoring high on the test. We should be in a better place. And essentially California, they took over, uh, uh, 
the UC, UC Berkeley, once they got rid of affirmative action, they're the dominant group on that campus. Uh, once you get rid of affirmative action, but the problem with the Asian activists is when you do something of this magnitude, right? You're going against the elite university system who believes in this stuff. You know, it, excuse me, it's defective, but they believe in this stuff. They have convictions with it. So when you bang against, you know, universities that have hundreds of billions of dollars of resources in terms of endowments, uh, their alumni, right? You, okay, you got your bust in here with this case, right? Oh, you know, you're celebrating, you're having, you're having a press conference and you, you think you, you won already, right? The game is over. But America doesn't work like that. Life doesn't work like that. When you're talking about going against these big universities and institutions and the alumni and what they want to do, they're going to come back and bust back. Okay, so the end of affirmative action is not really the end. What the universities are going to do and what they were already doing, they were preparing for it for years. What the universities are going to do is, okay, we... Even if you have the test scores, we don't want our university 90% Asian. We don't want, even if you have the test scores, we don't want to turn Harvard or Yale or Princeton or, you know, whatever the university is. We don't want that composition because it's not the real world. So we're not just going to look at your high test scores and run it up, run up the population with Asians. They're just not going to do that, right? So what are these universities going to do? They're going to say, okay, you came and got this thing. Uh, uh, you, you got the ruling that you wanted. You brought the case. Cool. The university is going to come and say, you know what? We're going to take the standardized test away. So the universities are going to manipulate the emissions process to get the results or get close to the results that they want. So it's not like, Oh, all this stuff is going away. Uh, you know, Texas, for example, uh, you know, they said, Hey, we're going to take the top 10% of students in all the different zip codes in the hood. And they can go, uh, you know, to our uh, top colleges uh, you know, universities can implement a 10% rule. They can uh, implement income targeting. They could say, look, 70% of the black applicants or 50% of the black applicants, they're from a single parent home. Okay, so let's target single parent homes and it's race neutral. So they can manipulate the criteria and back into the numbers that they're looking for. So, you know, don't be thinking that all this affirmative action goes away. And, you know, the, the Asian activists thinking that, you know, they're going to get all this new stuff. But I believe most of the Asian applicants who were stuck before, they're going to be stuck now. And some people say they can be more stuck because, again, 
if you agitate something, right, you, you fight for yours, but there's a, there's so many different political and financial considerations, right? Where something can come back, that reaction could come back and, and just totally your tests don't count. So that's how we're going to deal with the Asians. Your, your test scores don't even count or it does not count as much. Or we're going to, we're going to find race neutral ways and tools to back into the numbers that we're, we're looking for. So another thing I want to touch on is this argument that a judge who benefits from affirmative action, that means he needs to rule for it. So I don't agree with that. So, you know, of course the court is political, you know, but in ideal world, all because I benefited from something, that doesn't mean I'm going to rule decades later, or I should rule for something I benefited from. I should rule on that case based on the law. Okay. You don't want judges to be ruling because of their individual situation for an entire country. So I believe that there's a logical flaw when people say Clarence Thomas, he benefited from affirmative action, you know, uh, in his career. So that means he needs to rule that it's legal. I don't think that that's proper thinking. He should rule whether it's legal or not. Okay. That's what you ideally, you would want a judge to rule whether it's legal or not. Not that, Hey, you know, my family, uh, you know, moved into the suburbs and, uh, you know, uh, uh, was given some dope money and was able to move in the suburbs. So that means uh, I need to be pro dope. That's not how things should work. You know, you can benefit from something, but that doesn't mean it's something you want to be advocating for or that's that's illegal. Uh, another uh, problem with some of the narratives out here is, oh, the Supreme Court, uh, you know, they don't rule on the legacies. You know, they let the legacies go and then, you know, hold up. Yes, 30, 40 percent of the students at like a Harvard or Yale, their legacies. But if you have a problem with legacies, go ahead and start your case like the Asian activists. The judge is not supposed to say, because this is wrong over here, I'm going to allow this because this wrong is, is going on over here. You need to bring a case against these private institutions, right, to uh, challenge the legality of, uh, you know, legacies. But you're not going to find that because the Democrats... Okay, they uphold the legacy system. They're part of the problem, right? So they graduated, the people running the Democratic Party, the donors, they graduated from these institutions. They traffic in the hierarchies, right? They're getting uh, book deals and they're getting career and business deals. They're leveraging this hierarchy system that includes 
right? This legacy system. So most of these Democrats, when you really come down to it, they're not going to tear down what they're standing on. They're, they're trafficking in this system, right? They're profiting from the system. So the Democrat is going to say, why don't the Democrats, uh, why didn't uh, Clarence Thomas and the Republicans, uh, why didn't they allow the legacies? Well, Democrats allow the legacies. And if you want to challenge these elite institutions, go ahead. You know, there's laws in America where you can go ahead and launch your, your lawsuit. You, you could talk to your Congress people. You know, you could go to uh, Joe Biden, uh, Nancy Pelosi, Barack Obama, and talk to them about the legacy. But you know what? They're not going to talk to you about that. You know, they're not. If they had some, if they thought that that legacy system wasn't just, they would be doing something about it. And that's, that's a tell telling you that they're part of that system. So if you have an issue with the legacy emission system, you need to start your own cases or you need to challenge that with the Democratic Party or your local uh, uh, politicians, your Congress people. But that's a separate issue. You don't say, hey, uh, that legacy system is wrong. So this means affirmative action is right. Uh, I don't think that that's the correct uh, thinking uh, here. I think, you know, if the legacy system is a, is illegal or if you have such a problem with it, there's powerful people in the Democratic Party to do something about that, to to crank up the noise about that. But why don't you see that? So the next thing I want to um, cover is a article in the New Yorker by Jay Caspian King. Uh, and, you know, he he has been following affirmative action uh, for a while. And this is what uh, he says. It is almost certain that elite schools such as Harvard will more or less carry on with their diversity missions, albeit with less transparency than before. On Thursday, the Times published a story about how selective colleges will achieve racial diversity through other means, including teacher recommendations and personal essays. Jenny Suck Gerson has also argued in these pages that such so-called proxy programs will likely allow these schools to maintain the number of black and Latino students on their campuses. Such practices, along with the elimination of standardized testing, will probably have the effect of capping the number of Asian students admitted, which means that despite winning a multi-year lawsuit in the highest court in the land, uh, SFFA and its supporters may actually find themselves in, even, in an even more opaque and arbitrary emissions climate than before. Affirmative action, in my view, was doomed from the moment forward because it had stripped of its moral, it had been stripped of its moral force. It is one thing to argue that slavery, lynchings, Jim Crow laws, mass incarceration, and centuries of theft demand an, an educational system that factors in the effects of those atrocities. Let me read that again. It is one thing to argue that slavery, lynchings, Jim Crow laws, mass incarceration, and centuries of theft demand an education system that factors in the effects of those atrocities. If that principle were to express itself in, say, a black student who was descended from slaves and had grown up in poverty in an American inner city receiving the bump on his application when compared with the rich private school kid from the suburbs, so be it. But that is not, in fact, how affirmative action usually plays out at elite schools. 
most reporting on the subject, including my own, as well as a story in the Harvard Crimson, shows that descendants of slaves are relatively underrepresented among black students at Harvard compared with students from upperly mobile black immigrant families. So, you know, Jay Caspian King, you know, he, who's been watching this for a while, right? Uh, and he had a great piece in the, the New Yorker. Uh, you know, he's saying that the affirmative action is not going away. Okay. Uh, you're talking about some massive resource institutions where, you know, these activists and the Supreme Court, okay, you got your bust in, but they're going to come back with something. They have, they're going to have scientists, researchers, they're going to have, they're going to be collaborating on how to get the result that they're looking for. So most likely there's going to be more cases because the system is going to evolve and the rules are going to change. So just like a business, they're going to find other paths to get to the numbers that they're, they're looking for. Uh, so, you know, my view on affirmative action in, in terms of this ruling is it could be an opportunity. You know, uh, there's a lot of spook are things that are not real, our false perception in terms of what value affirmative action was bringing to the table for native black Americans specifically. I believe that the system was so broken. Uh, I, I like the risk reward situation where, you know, there's an opportunity uh, for something better and, you know, more focus on root problem solutions uh, in the direction of uh, reparations. Uh, and also from this, in terms of more people are looking at affirmative action where, you you know, the, the mainstream hasn't really looked at it like this since this ruling uh, or before this ruling. So now people... Uh, will go into the detail of what was going on underneath affirmative action, right? And figure out that this idea that you just grouping all black people together and checking the black box, that's not fair to the native black American and the history of the native black American. It's not fair to us. And so I believe, and most of this is uh, unintentional, but the black immigrant families, they have ran a political train on the black American in terms of capturing a disproportionate number of benefits as they fly over here, but they have not paid the price. Okay. They have not, the blood is not here on this soil, the pain, the trauma, the generational trauma, the work. The free labor is not on this soil. So they, when, you, when you're competing against them, they don't have the same weights on their ankles psychologically, okay, uh, in terms of family structure, in terms of the, the, the weight that we carry. So they're, they're going to be able, their, their top 5% who come over from these countries, they're going to be able to outcompete us, right? Because it's just their first round draft picks against our whole population. 
okay so it's gonna look like they're doing something that's so much better but you know what they're not carrying the weight of the native black america peace